0: Listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene online at BethanyNaz.org. I
1: heard a story recently about an elderly lady who attends our church. She's now 86. Her name is Margaretta Bundy. And Margaret was a college student at Olivet, what is now Nazarene University. And and there was a, a big gathering of Nazarenes that was going to take place in Dallas, Texas, called a General Assembly. And she was from Port Arthur, Texas And her family was going to come and hear her sing in this choir And so here's what Margareta does For the week prior to this night That she's going to sing And her family's going to come and hear her She prays And she fasts. So when it was time to eat She said, I'm not eating Instead of eating, I'm going to pray And the reason she was praying instead of eating Was because her dad was going to come And her dad was not a Christian. And so for a week, this little college girl prayed and fasted for her dad. And so as I'm hearing the story, it's awesome because he comes to this service and there's thousands of people there that night. And she gets up with this choir and she sings. And her dad, at the end of the service, responds to an invitation to accept Jesus and comes forward and becomes a follower of Christ. What a story. I, I talked with a guy this week that attends our church, and you know what he told me? He told me that every day of his life, every morning when he gets up, when he prays, he prays for three men. And what the three men have in common is that they are atheists, and they're kind of popular in our world today. They're guys who are known. They're on television. And he says, every day I pray for these three atheists. And I'm, and I'm sitting at my desk and I'm reading this email that he's sending me. And I'm thinking, these are men that he probably will never meet in his life. But for years now, he has prayed every day that these guys will come to know Jesus. Do you think that, that you and I as believers in Jesus, followers of Christ, do we have a responsibility to share this hope that we have found in Jesus with other people? And, and maybe there's another way to have this conversation. What is it about believers that have this desire, this urge, this interest, this need to talk to people about Jesus? So what is a college girl who could be doing what college kids do, you know? But instead she's taking a week of her life and she's refusing to eat anything... And instead, every mealtime, she's praying that her dad will come to know Jesus. She wants it that bad. Or what about a guy who gets up in the morning and every morning for years he prays for three atheists that he'll probably never meet because he wants them to know Jesus so bad? What is it about believers that feel this urge to share the hope that they have found in Jesus with other people? I think there's something we can learn in God's Word this morning about all of this. And I want you to grab a Bible, if you will, and open it to the book of Colossians, okay? And I'm going to start reading in the first chapter, and I'll start in verse 3, all right? So this is the book of Colossians, first chapter, verse 3. Let let me just give you enough background that you won't feel lost here. It is written by a guy whose name is Paul who is probably in prison in Ephesus, and he ascended a letter a hundred miles inland to a small congregation of mainly Gentile believers. Okay, very few Jews in the congregation. Paul has never seen these people. He tells us that in chapter 2. So if he has never seen them, who planted the church? Who told them about Jesus? Who starts the congregation? Probably a guy whose name is Epaphras. And whether he did or not, we don't know for sure. But we do know that he is the overseer right now of this congregation. And probably two other congregations in that Lancas Valley. And his name is Epaphras. And so he goes to see Paul and he tells them about the church in Colossae. And he tells them a lot of good things that you'll read in a minute. And he also says, but there's this heresy that seems to be creeping in. Okay? So let me, let me read, have, having now you have that background. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, Paul says, to this little group of Gentile believers in Colossae. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So we've been hearing about the fact that you guys have put your faith in Jesus. And of the love that you have for all of God's people. So we see a couple of things in you, okay? We see faith and we've heard about your love. The faith and love that spring from the hope. And so now we're understanding that here's a congregation of believers... And they are filled with faith, and they are filled with love, and they are filled with hope, all right? The hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. So Paul says, "Get this. I mean, I have some exciting stuff to share with you. Um, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it. And truly understood God's grace. I mean, you guys in Colossae, you know how that you're sharing your faith with people and and the gospel is growing and other people are coming to believe? Well, that's happening all over the world, I'm telling you. The gospel is just growing and spreading like a wildfire. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also has told us about your love in the Spirit. Now, think with me just for a minute, okay? There's a book called Good and Beautiful Community by James Bryan Smith. And if you want to get a little more out of the series over these next six weeks after today, you might buy the book and kind of follow along, okay? Some of you are studying the book in groups, but here's what he says. He says, every day of your life, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, every day of your life, you are a witness, So, some of you are reacting right now and you are saying, No, 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 no. I don't do witnessing. I mean, maybe I should do witnessing, but I don't do witnessing. I'm not a witness. I have friends who are good witnesses and they talk to people about Jesus, but that's not me. I don't witness much. And James Bryan Smith says, Oh, no, you witness every day of your life. When you get up in the morning and you go to class, you're going to be a witness. When you go to work, you're going to be a witness. When you hang out with friends, you're going to be a witness. You may not be a good witness, but you're a witness. Because James Bryan Smith says we witness in two ways we witness every day by how we live our lives, and we also witness by what we say with our mouths. So you are a witness. You may admit I'm not a very good witness, but you're a witness because we witness by the way that we live, our lives out in front of people, and we witness by what we say. I want to I want to I want to get my heart just out as much as I can to you, okay? I don't ever want to set myself up as a guy who has it all together, who is doing it all right. That's not that's not me. I am striving like all of you are striving to do the best that I can do to honor Jesus in every way. But i got to tell you what is in my heart, all right? In my heart, I struggle every day of my life with the brokenness that I see in this world. I mean, there's brokenness everywhere. People are so broken. What do you mean by that? I just mean turn on the news. Turn on the news and what do you see? You just see broken lives everywhere. I mean, I mean if you just consider your own extended family, I've got a feeling... Every person in this room would say, there is somebody in my family, Pastor Rick, that is very broken. I mean, their lives are broken. And what I believe in my heart is simply this, that the way to wholeness is in Jesus Christ. The way you put brokenness back together is by following Jesus. And I don't know how to do this, but I'm trying my best to figure out how in the world can I help people by inviting them to join me in this journey of following jesus because he is the answer to brokenness he is what makes people whole is, is there anybody with me on that stuff right there am i can i get a witness in the room i mean i think that's it and and that's where i'm living, living my life and i feel like god has done something in my heart in this last year or so and i'm trying to articulate it and i'm trying to say it and sometimes my words aren't very good but here's the bottom line i see so much brokenness And I believe Jesus is what brings wholeness to people's lives. And I'm trying to figure out how I can be a part of God's process of inviting people to come to know Jesus and follow Him. So, once in a while, I meet somebody. I've loved baptisms all morning. We've been getting to baptize people here. And I love to think about somebody who comes and says, you know what? I have found faith. And I'm now a person of love and a person of hope. And I'm following Jesus. And, and the question that I think we have to answer, but Paul answers really well here. And I want you to leave today being able to answer this question really well. How does a person come to a place in their life that they now are a person of faith where there was not faith. And they're a person of love where there was not love. And they're a person of hope because we are the people of hope, not the people of despair. How, how does that happen? So let's talk about the three words really quick. Here's, here's how it works. So Paul says, I've been hearing about you. And what I've been hearing about is your faith in Jesus Christ. Now he doesn't say, I've been hearing about your faith and put a period there. He says, I've been hearing about your faith in Jesus Christ. Now think with me just for a minute, okay? When he says that, he is trying to say to them that you have embraced the story of Jesus. You have come to a place in your life that you have believed that He was born of a virgin, that He walked among us, that He is truly the Son of God, that He was crucified on a cross for our redemption, that He was buried in a tomb and on the third day He arose. You have embraced the message of the gospel. You have put your faith in Jesus. So here's what you've done. You've decided now that I'm going to trust Him with my whole life. I mean, I'm going to follow Him with my whole life. Beyond that, I'm going to trust Him in death. One of the struggles that we have when we think about this whole concept of love, especially as we pop open the New Testament and begin to read, is that we want to carry this definition that we have that kind of lends itself toward what I feel. So I feel like I'm falling in love, you know? I, I, don't, I don't know, I don't really feel love for that person, so maybe I don't love them. And when you open the New Testament, you have this whole other understanding of love. And it's a love where that we are commanded to love. You open the Bible, you know what it says? Sometimes it says, you should love one another. That's what you should do. You open the Bible and it says stuff like this, love your neighbor. Well, here's the problem. If love is reduced to the idea of feeling, you cannot command feeling. If love is reduced to the idea of feeling, you cannot command feeling. You should feel love for that person. I'm sorry, I don't feel love. I don't know what to do. It's not feeling. It's an act of the will. It's action. It's this kind of love. God so loved the world that He did something. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Now that's love. It's an act of the will that moves into action. So the way that you know you really have faith is because James says in the Bible, faith without works is dead. Thank you, both of you who helped me out with that. And so faith that does not move to action, move into love, is not faith at all, right? Well, where do you get faith and love? And Paul says, oh, that comes from the hope that is within you. Really? Yes. Yes. Uh, One of our struggles with hope is we have kind of reduced it in some ways to kind of wishful thinking. It's one of these things, you know what, I just really feel good about it. And I've been thinking about it a lot. And man, I just, I I think the Broncos are going to pull it off tonight. I mean, I really feel hopeful about it, you know. I think Peyton is a good guy and he's going out and this would be a great way to go. And I'm just feeling really hopeful. I know I can get some support for that. But... But hope is a lot more than wishful thinking or personal dreams. When Paul talks about this hope that we have where faith and love springs from, he's talking about this conviction that I believe in my heart that God is going to do what He said He's going to do. I believe that God is going to fulfill His promises. I believe that God is going to finish what He started in Jesus. I believe that God keeps His promises. God is going to make all things new again. The kingdom of God is going to take place. That, that's where the hope is. So, where do you get the hope? And here's what Paul says. I have to go back and make sure I get the words right, but here's what he says. You found hope in the true message of the gospel. You get it? So, I have faith and I have love... But that comes from the hope. And where do I get the hope? In the true message of the gospel. Now, there's two times that he uses the word truth, okay? He talks about the truth of the gospel. And and in both those occasions, he uses the same Greek word. And you know what the Greek word means that that we translate truth? you know what it means? Truth. (laughs) That's why we translate it truth. You want to look me in the eye a minute? This is a struggle. Do you know why it's a struggle? Because we live in the age of relativism. And you function every day in a society that says, I don't know that anything is inherently true. I mean, you got to determine what truth is, Right? And you've got to determine what right is, right? And you've got to determine what wrong is, right? And we feel the pressure of a secular culture around us saying to us every day of our lives, who are you to say something is true? And especially, who are you to say something is wrong? Or who are you to say that something is morally right? Right? And what we have is a generation of people coming up in this world who are trying to follow Jesus with their lives, but very often the response is, oh, I don't know who I am to judge anybody really. I mean, who am I to say they're right or they're wrong? Or that this is truth? Or that this is false? That is a very different way to think than what Paul is thinking when he says... When you are a follower of Jesus, you start with the truth. The truth is the gospel. You don't go looking for the truth. You have found the truth. And you move from there in your life. We know what the truth is. The truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is where you find hope. And from hope springs faith. And from hope springs love. Now, there's another element to this and it's progression. and, And let's talk about it from this angle. I went to a church one time and I sat through this... Uh, seminar, and they're talking about how to share your faith, and and what they're saying is that you just tell your story, and they had good biblical basis for it. I believe they said, you know, that's what Paul did. He what he, he gets up and he says, I was going down the road to Damascus, and there was this bright light that was shining. Before I know it, I'm talking to Jesus, and my life is changed. He just told his story. The blind man. I don't know about a lot of stuff. I just tell you this much: I was blind and now I see. I, that's my story. And so they were saying, just, just share your story. Just tell people what Jesus has done for you. They said, you know, a couple of years ago we were doing this seminar. and This lady comes up and it's chaos. And we've told everybody, find a partner, tell them your story. And everybody's up looking for somebody. and Who doesn't have somebody? And I'm trying to direct from up here, he said. And, yeah, okay, you, can you guys get together? And, and finally this one lady is going, I don't have one. And, and she's standing there with this other lady and said, you don't have one what? A partner? Choose her. She said, no, she's my partner. Well, what, what don't you have? And she said, I don't have a story. I'm not a believer. I'm not a Christian. And he said, just in that moment, I just looked at the lady and said, okay, you're not practicing. Tell her your story. Just be a witness. Why are you going back there again? Because here's what Paul says. You have faith and you have hope. I mean love, because it springs from the hope is in you. And where did you get the hope? You got it in the true message of the gospel. And then he says, who told you the true message of the gospel? And he says, you learned it from a guy named Epaphras. Somebody told you. Everybody in this room who is a follower of Jesus Christ, you can name the people who told you, Rick, who told you? Well, my mama told me, and my daddy told me, and my pastors told me, and some Sunday school teachers told me, and some aunts and uncles told me, and people who were invested in my life told me. Somebody told me. And that's the way it happens. Somebody reaches out, and they share the gospel. And then God makes it grow. And before you know it, there's hope. And from hope springs faith and love. And all of a sudden, you have a person who used to not have faith, but now they're a person of faith. And they used to not love like that, but now they love like that. And they used to not be hopeful, but now they're hopeful. And it's because somebody told them. A couple Sunday nights ago, we had Robin and Carlos Roddy here. And they told a story about a lady whose name is Maria Christina. So if you've got a child with you this morning who's come to family worship, I want you to tap them on the leg and say, listen to Pastor Rick, he's telling a story, okay? So Maria Christina had a husband and two little girls. And she was doing okay in life, but things were tight, and her husband... Had a deep desire to become wealthy. He wanted to be rich. He wanted to make money. And they're just kind of scraping along. They're newly married. They got a couple kids, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And one day, Christina, I'm sorry, Maria Christina, Maria realized that she was losing her eyesight. She went to the doctor, and the doctor said, There's nothing we can do. Within a little while, you'll be blind. And as she was losing her eyesight, her husband says, This is not part of the plan. I mean, I've got dreams, I've got goals, I want to be wealthy, I'm going to make money. I can't really have a blind person dragging me down. And so he leaves her with her two little girls. In her despair, she goes to a church, and what she hears at the church is that if you'll give God money, He'll make you rich, and He'll bless you. And so Maria had very little money, but she gave the church what she had. But she didn't get the blessings, and she decided in her heart, maybe God doesn't love me. And finally she's evicted from her apartment and she's forced to live homeless with her two little girls. And they find themselves most nights sleeping under a bridge. And every day they would make the rounds and go to trash cans and try to find enough food to eat. She was desperate. She said, my muscles hurt all the time because I gripped and clutched the hands of my little girls. I did not want to lose them to the streets of that large city in Argentina. I was afraid that somebody would take them from me. And every day, I would try to relax when I would lay down at night because I had clutched onto my little girl so strong. One day, she was in a town square and she heard a song about God's love. She didn't know what to think because she wasn't for sure remember that God loved her. But she sat down on a bench, didn't get too close, but sat down on a bench with her two little girls. And she would listen to the music and she would listen to what they taught through the puppets and... Sometimes the youth would come out and give a balloon or a piece of candy to the her two little girls who were sitting on the bench with her. And the next Saturday, at three o'clock, she really wanted to go back to that town square to see if that youth group was there, from that Nazarene church doing the Bible school. And sure enough, they were. All she could think about the next week was Saturday afternoon at three o'clock. She looked forward to it. She wanted to go back. It was the only thing that she had really wanted to do or found joy in doing since she had become homeless. And so that Saturday she went back and they started to sing the songs and she was so grateful to be there and all of a sudden it began to rain. But I don't mean just a sprinkle, I mean a downpour, a heavy downpour. And everybody took off for shelter and Maria Christina sat there holding to her two little girls' hands as the rain just poured down on them and she just cried. And she said, God, the only thing that I've looked forward to since I've been homeless is coming here on Saturday and you made it rain? And she sat there and she wept, and a little 15 year old girl with an umbrella walked up and said, Why don't you get out of the rain? And Maria said, Where would I go? I have no place to go. I'm homeless. And the only joy that I've had is coming here on Saturdays and God made it rain. And that little 15-year-old girl took her into her Nazarene church. And she told the pastor. And the youth group that had been doing the Bible study was now playing ping pong. And the pastor says, stop playing ping pong. This is Maria Christina and these are her two daughters. And we're going to do Bible school for them right here in the church, for the three of them. And they set everything up, the puppet stage, and they did the singing, and they passed out the candy. And they told the Bible stories and all those things for Maria Christina and her two daughters. Well, on Sunday morning, Maria Christina and her daughters were at church. And then on Wednesday night, they were at church. And on Thursday night, they were there for a ladies' event. And on Saturday night, they were there for a prayer meeting. And a family in the church said, we have a garage. We should clean it out. And you could stay in the garage. At least you would have shelter. And so they cleaned out the garage. And they moved into that little garage. And she began to get deep into the Word. And Jesus began to express to her His deep love for her. And she became an effective follower of Jesus. Finally, one of the guys in the church who worked in some way with the government said, You're blind. There should be something for you in the form of help from our government. And sure enough, she qualified for some kind of income from the government. Now she's got a garage to live in and she has some income. One day she says to the pastor, I believe God has told me that He is going to provide a home for me, a permanent home. And the pastor thought, I don't know how in the world even God would do that. But there was an apartment complex being built for people who fit a certain criteria. And would you believe it? She fit the criteria. And as she was moving into her home, everybody that was in her way, she would say, My apartment number is so and so, and we're moving in now. Now she's blind, she didn't know she was inviting prostitutes and homeless people, but on Thursday, my pastor is coming to my new home and we're gonna have church and you're invited. And the pastor said that when he got to her home that first Thursday to have church, there were 40-some people crowded into her little apartment. A church which today runs about four to 500 people on Sunday morning. The story becomes incredible. One day she told the pastor, God's going to send me to Cuba to witness to Val Castro. And he's thinking, I don't know how in the world God would ever do that. But he began to realize that God seemed to speak to this little blind lady. And sure enough, people gave her over $10,000 in U.S. currency. And she ended up in Cuba. And as they're telling the story, I'm not trying to be skeptical, understand, but it was a little bit hard to believe until they put a picture on the screen. I wish I had the picture to show you. And whose arm is around Maria Cristina except Fidel Castro. And he's holding a Gideon New Testament that she smuggled into the country. Carlos said her husband came back to find his two girls years later. He had made lots of money, lots of money. And he had a young girlfriend with him. And you know what Maria did? She reached out in love and she told them about Jesus. And they got on their knees in her little apartment and they prayed for forgiveness of sin. Something tragic happened. He was killed a couple of months later. But he had never divorced her. She was legally his wife. And all of his assets became hers. And what did she do with it? Now a very wealthy lady begins to give it away to build schools and hospitals and places for homeless people. And she did so much in the country of Argentina that when Carlos got ready to come to the U.S., he goes to a funeral and he sits beside her and she says, Carlos, you've got to turn on my phone and you've got to look at a video that's on my phone. And so he did. And it's a picture of Maria Cristina sitting with the president of Argentina and he is commending her for all of her philanthropy to that wonderful country. And then Carlos says, as he tells the story, is this a story about a little blind homeless lady who got a home and a church? At least that's part of the story. Is it a story about a homeless lady who was blind, who seemingly had nothing to offer, but one day would sit in the presence of presidents and kings? That's part of the story. Carlos said, No. It's a story about a 15 year old girl with an umbrella who couldn't stand there and watch a lady sit in the rain who was homeless and blind with a couple little girls. She had to go out there. And she brought her into her church. And the story that God would write, nobody would guess, right? That's what the story is. And I think what I'm trying to tell you today is, I want the heart of that little girl. I haven't figured it out. I don't know to do what to do with all that God is trying to say to me. And and I don't mind confessing to you, it's a struggle to get it into language. But I know that the world is broken and there are people who feel hopeless. But we are the hopeful community. We are not the people of despair. And in all the brokenness of the people around us, God has given us this great message. And somehow, i got to figure out a way to say, I know someone who can make you whole. And I want to invite you to join me on this journey with Him. Because... I look around and I see people who are people of faith. And there are people who are filled with love. And there are people who are full of hope. And I understand where the hope came from. It came from the truth of the gospel. But somebody had to tell them. And Paul says, Epaphras told you guys. And that's the way God chooses to work. Through 15-year-old girls with umbrellas. And And they plant. And others water, and God makes it grow. And before you know it, faith is alive. And love and hope are alive in the heart of a person. <sighs> Can I just get a really rich and hearty amen to all of that? Amen. That was rich, but it wasn't real hearty. You want to stand with me? So as, as we pray before we go, I wonder if, if you want to pray uh, that God would give you a heart like that 15-year-old girl. Or maybe you want to pray for me, and please do. Come and pray for me. I need your prayers. I want, I want that kind of heart. Uh, maybe there's people that you know that you love that are broken, and you want to come and pray for them today. Maybe you are Maria, Christina. Maybe you feel hopeless. You even question sometimes if God even loves you. I mean, we would be remiss today to leave this place without saying, come and find this hope that we live in. There'll be pastors here to pray for you. Just get their attention as you come. There'll be one over here and one over here. If you want to pray for healing this morning, pastors will anoint you. And pray for you. If you want to pray for your family's concerns or needs or whatever. Just come and pray today. If you desire to do that, okay? So we'll sing as you come. May seem a little unusual, but here's the blessing today, okay? Um, I think it's appropriate. Um, my, my prayer this morning for you and me, for us, is that God will give us the heart of that 15 year old girl. Amen? Amen. Feel free to pray. Feel free to stay. If you just want to be seated where you are, that's fine. When you leave, leave quietly.